Well, last week, uh, you know, I pulled out my hammer. I'm not going to apologize for that. That's just how it goes. Uh, I'm tired. I'm tired of the world. I'm tired of a lot of things. I was going to come. I got a few questions this morning. Have you been praying? Have you been fasting? You know, I've had to fast off and on. Can I tell you, like, I already, like, know, like, since we've been fasting, I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but we have come under a whole lot of struggle and hardship. I mean, two weeks ago, I, I declared to fast. I think it was two weeks, right? Two weeks ago, declaring a fast. I've been fasting as much as I possibly can, and then I was getting sick, and then I was like, I got to eat something because I'm getting really sick, and not from, like, not eating. Like, I'm just physically getting sick. And so I would have, like, somebody's like, well, I started out, well, I'll fast like a piece of bread a day, and then, and then I got really good. Like, I'm really, really sick, and I, I had to eat something. And they're like, it's probably all the yeast, brother. Oh, that makes sense. You know, like, ah, I got to think of something different. You know, I, I, what I do know is this. Like, I've been watching other people get sick, whether it's allergies, whether it's something else. I've watched other people have all kinds of hardships in the last two weeks. Uh, man. We have a tough road that lays ahead of us in praying and fasting. It's a tough road. Uh, I ask you those questions, have you been praying, have you fasting? But only God knows. And listen, I'm not your judge. Only the Lord can know such things. But make no mistake, the world is in need of a praying church who bears the image of Jesus Christ. And there's no way to become the image of Jesus Christ if you're not going to spend time with God. As Moses' face shone when he entered the tent from hanging around with the Lord, so shall yours if you'll just be with him there in the prayer closet. No pressure, right? Only the world's waiting for you. It's waiting, right? And listen, it isn't, it, it isn't as hard as it sounds. Let's get your theology right first. So first thing this morning, let me remind you of a few things. I know that you're not perfect. Guess what? So does God. I know it's shocking, but he knows it. He loves you. He forgives you. He accepts you just as you are, not as you should be. For none of us are as we should be. So quit trying to be the perfect Christian. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be it. You're not the person the world's waiting on for to be the second Christ, okay? Quit acting like it. Instead, just try to get to know Jesus as you would anyone else that you have affection for. Talk to Him. Share with Him. Be honest with Him. Jesus is gentle, loving, and, most, and He is the most forgiving person you will ever know. You can tell him anything. You can be you. He is the one place where it is all safe. Remember that you don't have to cover up your imperfections. Be transparent. Remember the words that Jesus spoke to Paul. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul found out that when we are at our weakest moments is when others can see the power and strength of Jesus. Be transparent. Be open. It's okay. You don't have it all together. Awesome. Welcome to the rest of the world. You know what they'll think about you? They'll think you're honest and you're real. And then all of a sudden, the faith that you've grown to love and the grace that you've grown to, to, to cherish will all of a sudden be the rest of the world's. Don't fall into the trap of a works-based faith. It's not what you do that saves you. It's who you know. Let me say that again. It's not what you do. I don't care how much time you come to church. That does not make you saved. I don't care how long you've been in church. That does not make you mature or saved. Uh, it doesn't matter. I don't care if people on the pulpit. I know people on the pulpit that I don't think are saved. It doesn't, none of that stuff matters. It's who you know. 
We do not have any victories at this church. All of the victories are the Lord's. Period. Right? We are weak. We don't boast in anything we can do. We boast in what He can do. We simply trust Him and present a saved life to others, and God draws His people to Him. This is why you won't see us boasting in how many people get saved here. You won't hear us talk about how many people get baptized here, because we don't save anybody. God saves everyone. <laughs> there, there, is, there isn't anything we do that brings people to salvation. Make no mistake about this. This is one of the easiest things about getting up and preaching because I truly believe that, that none of my sermons are what bring people to salvation. It is the grace of God that brings people to salvation. That takes a lot of pressure off me, folks. I don't have to go to sleep worried about it at night whether somebody, oh, Lord, if I'd have just said a different word. Oh, if I was just a better writer. Man, if I could have just said it more eloquent. Mm-mm. It is God. None of our worship, none of our youth and children programs, nothing. Only God saves. These are things to remember. God's grace is the power behind drawing people for salvation. The world isn't attracted to us. Get that out of your mindset. It's attracted to the grace of Jesus Christ seen through us. You are all called the children of God. So act like it. You've been forgiven, so forgive others. You have been loved, so love others. You've been given grace, so give grace to others. Don't find yourself falling for the allure of, I mean, I'm calling it today, social media immaturity. I mean, while social media has given the world a bullhorn by which to shout out whatever comes out their mouth, that doesn't mean you have to. A little uh, etiquette, social media etiquette 101 this morning. Remember the words of the Apostle James. If we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect. Amen. Amen. I fall way short, guys, on that one. Realize that where you're gifted and realize where you aren't. We all struggle with a mouth issue. I don't know anyone that does it, right? Let somebody mean come along your way and see what happens. Let somebody say something about your spouse. Let's see how nice your mouth gets, right? You'd be like, well, I didn't cuss. That don't mean you didn't tear them down. Some, some of you are like wordsmith. You're like really good. Like you know how to tear somebody down without, and sound nice doing it. We, it is the southerner who coined the phrase, bless their heart, which means, oh, you're dumb and ignorant. And we feel sorry for you, right? <laughs> we all struggle. That doesn't mean it needs to bleed over into everything else in our life. The world can't tell what we love or what we hate. More than likely, they think we're fickle or worse, silent. We say we'll pray and nothing changes in the world. They see our church grow and nothing changes in the world. They see us all over social media and nothing changes in the world. This week, 80 people died and over 200 people were wounded in a terrorism attack. Turkey just went through a failed attempt, attempted coup, if you haven't been watching the news. And to quote my friend uh, uh, Joni Lucashay, uh, the world's on fire and we're on Facebook. You like that one? <laughs> the world needs you. That's really my sermon this morning when we talk about persistence, is that the world needs you, all of you. I know you feel insignificant at times. I know you feel small, but have faith. Jesus has overcome. He is the bedrock, the very foundation and precipice of our strength. We must be determined to reach him, to see him, and to know him. We don't need another sermon series. We need Jesus. And let me say it again. Jesus believes in you, and so do I. I'm just reminding you of that this morning. Luke 5 tells the story of a man who was paralyzed and a group of people that were committed to get the paralyzed man to Jesus. Beginning at verse 17, it reads like this. Luke 5, verse 17. 
One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles, and they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Church, this is our mission. This is our goal. And ultimately what we want all people to say, not just about us uh, and not just about Mosaic, but all of God's churches, right? The church. There are people out there that are paralyzed in sin. They're immovable in their addiction. They, they are lost in idolatry. They're asleep to all things spiritual. They're paralyzed by fear and by failure and by loneliness. And they're waiting for someone to come along and help them. But it can't just be anyone. Right? It's got to be a persistent people, a people bent on getting paralyzed people to Jesus. I don't know if you can picture any of this. I don't know how you look at the Bible. If you look at it like I do, I, I tend to create like images in my head. It plays out before me. Here is a man in need of healing. He's completely paralyzed. He cannot move on his own. He cannot do anything on his own. He needs help. He does, it, it doesn't matter where the help comes from. It only matters where they're going to take him. Let me say that again. It, it doesn't matter where the help comes from. It only matters where they're going to take him because he needs Jesus. He's been laying on that mat for as long as he remember. He can't remember the last time he's been clean. Who's going to help him? Man, back then, it was considered an unclean person. Something's wrong with him. Must have been a sin in his family. Now, all of a sudden, here's a group of people. They've heard the miracles that Jesus has performed. Maybe they know this paralyzed man. Maybe they don't. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us that if they know him, then these are true friends. But guess what? Even if they don't know him, then these are true friends. Either way, their hearts are Christ-like. I mean, the group grabs the paralyzed man up. They uh, take his mat too, right? And they head straight for Jesus. They are determined to get this man in there. They believe that Jesus can do the miracle. They believe that Jesus is the answer. And then wait, let's, let me stop right there before we go too far. Let me ask you a question. Which are you really? Are you paralyzed in your life? Well, I realize you're not paralyzed physically. I don't want to take away from the severity of this man's injury, but I can't help but think I've known too many people that are paralyzed by fear. They sit there and their life never goes anywhere. It's the same people I know that they endured one year at church where they growed exponentially and they sat for the next 19 and didn't grow at all. They became bitter and legalistic. And they're in the church. They're paralyzed by failure. Maybe something happened in their life and it stopped them from growing altogether. Some of them are lonely. Or maybe you're like the group. Do you go and find people that are struggling? That need a healing? That are hopeless and helpless and just need a bit of help? Is that what fuels you? If it doesn't, it should. <laughs> because I can't help but see what God intended the church to be in this group. And it seems to me that's what they are. Maybe we start out that way, but we get discouraged. As soon as life like, gets a bit hard. Remember the first time that they approached the house? What happened? We can't get in. 
There is no way to reach Jesus through the front door. There ain't no other doors. Most people stop here. Most people get discouraged here. They say something about, well, I guess it's not God's will, brother. Because if it was God's will, everything would just be perfect. Such a lie. That's such foolishness. Listen, God sent the bear and the lion to teach David how to kill the giant. But I guarantee you when David's fighting the lion, he's not going, man, this is going to help raise me up in this world. I can't wait to fight this lion. <laughs> Whew, that bear. Thank you, Jesus, for sending me the bear. Right? But when it came giant time, what did he say? Man, I fought the lion and the bear. What's this guy? Oh, none of us like the hardship when we're going through it because none of us are given sometimes that what is going to happen in the future. Some of us don't know how our hardship's going to play into our best strengths. Hardships, they show us the measure of our character. I love John Eldridge. He wrote the book Wild at Heart. He said this. He says, who, who we are cannot be defined at the kitchen table. Amen. You just can't know who you really are until you go through some stuff. Some of you have been through some stuff, right? All right. If you've, if you've got any experience in life, you're like, man, I've been through some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But you're here. You come out on the other side of it, right? And it, is it going to make you change? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I always compare it to, you know, being the military guy, loving knives, guns, everything else. You know, I always compare it to the, the, the idea of forging. You don't, you don't get the blade from just a piece of metal. It's just not automatically turned into the sword. No, it's got to be beat. And listen, if you just take a piece of metal, any piece of metal, it will bend and break and bow. You've got to keep throwing it in the fire. You bend it. You smash it on top of each other. You beat it till two metals become one again. You know, the hardest metal is Damascus steel. And that is hundreds of layers of metal that have been beaten and forged in the fire. So you beat it with a hammer, chunk it in the fire, get that thing molded hot again, beat it again. Keep twisting it and folding it and beating it and beating it and beating it. Eventually it comes out and you shaped it out. And it's got a totally different look than when you started. But it also becomes the hardest metal on earth. Man, God has forged us, right? We do change. We look back at the scripture. It reads that when they faced the idea of not getting to see Jesus through the front door, they made their own door. So they went up to the roof, they took off some tiles, they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Right? Man, if I can't get through the front door, I'm about to blow the roof off. I'm about to break this dude's house, and we're going to get that guy in. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people in the church, man, if we did something like that, they'd be like, that can't be right. I don't think God would want somebody to rip their roof off. Man, what do you know what God needs? Maybe, maybe, maybe the next thing that needs to happen is the second, the second uh, uh, thing the church needs to do is go back and fix the house, right? But either way, there's nothing wrong with getting somebody to Jesus however it needs to get done sometimes. They literally rip the roof off the house to get to him. There's no, there is a, a, a no, we can't get to Jesus mentality. No, there is only we will get through to Jesus we're going to keep trying till we can present this man before Christ. We're not going to stop. The helpless and hopeless are counting on us. We must get through to the Lord because we know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus can change this man's life. We have to get him there. At the end of the day, nobody's going to care about house. Some of you have been in two or three homes, man. I've rented a bunch of homes. I've owned homes. I could care less about homes. They come and go. They're destroyed one day and built the next. This man being paralyzed will change his life forever. 
Throughout the Bible, God often refers to the people of Israel as a stubborn and stiff-necked people. We are stuck on doing things our way and not God's way. Some of you are more gifted than others in this. However, when we see that same attitude pointed in the right direction, it becomes a powerful presentation of faith. What do I mean? I mean like this. I'm so stubborn and I'm so fixed it's going to be done. Hey, man, there's no door, brother, that I'm about to make one. Sometimes, listen, when stubbornness is turned around and exercised through faith, it's not a bad little tool. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of missionaries that have, just, that have conquered continents through stubbornness. Through stubbornness. Some of us need to have our stubbornness turned around and applied to our faith and our prayer life. Oh, man, if you was half as stubborn about your prayer life as you are a lot of things in your life, you'd already be, half, you'd be so close to Jesus, we wouldn't be able to get near you. A scripture I've grown very fond of while living here in the hill country, it's become a part of my like heart's cry, so to speak, is, is found in Jeremiah twenty two sixteen. It reads this, and, and I read this uh, out of the New American Standard. It says, he pled the cause of the afflicted and needy, then it was well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Now, I first read this in the New American Standard. That's where I first came across the scripture, really kind of the meat and, and it, the the other translations out there, uh, uh, um, th- that's the only one that uses the word pled. Other translations use the word like defended, I think is the NIV. Uh, the New Living says gave justice and help. Uh, either way, the implication is that it's a strong force of action. So, so when I first read the word and I saw pled, I pictured a, per- a person like pleading and begging God. Right? Like that's how... And then when you look at defend or gave justice, and you use, this, you use the word pled, and, you, and you're looking at all those words that basically are trying to summarize the Greek there, then somebody's, bringing, somebody's defending people, and somebody's bringing justice through the pleading, through the pleading for their lives. Right? So this is what I pictured, that we're, we're not able to bring justice or help unless we plead their cause before Christ. Jesus can help this world. He can help this world. Uh, uh, that's why it's important to live in, to know Christ. The church is called to bear his image. We've got to plead. We've got to plead their case, right? We've got to bear his image so they will be drawn to him. When we put up false or, 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 or put up a front or a false narrative, we veil the image of Christ before the world, and we cut short the glory of God. Is there any wonder why the world's on fire today? Come on. Are we pleading? Are we pleading the cause of the afflicted and needy? we stubborn about it terrorism racism poverty addiction and disasters are all the headlines while the church is boasting record numbers of growth the world's unimpressed with what we've grown into what are we leading this next generation into more religion and workspace faith a fake it till we make it mentality i said it once in here and i'll say it because it's a lot worth repeating this morning some of you have heard this before some of you haven't but the church is a lot like my wife she never feels pretty unless she has her hair and her makeup done. Ever. You know, Texas women, come on, man, they put makeup on and take trash out. <laughs> but listen, ladies, that couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, I see her when she gets up, man, her makeup's all smeared. She didn't wipe enough of it off the day before. She's like, what? Don't look at me. Don't look. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And why? 
Why isn't her makeup perfect in the morning? Because man, it's smeared. It's been she's been sleeping on. She, it would take all. It, she'd have to refresh it like all the time to keep it up and to stay perfect. Why can't she? It's exhausting. That's so exhausting. Like watching her having to do that all the time. I'm like man, aren't you so tired of it? I'm like I'm ready to shave my head just so I don't have to comb it. <laughs> Who wants to do all that stuff? It's exhausting. And if she did it all the time, listen, it'd also be fake because her real face under all that makeup is beautiful by itself. It doesn't need anything. And I'll say it once, man, and I still say it because I think it applies to the church, man. Since the time my wife was born, she's been told that she was never truly beautiful without it. The media tells her that. The, inst- the Internet tells her that. And, and we have. We, we just... We, we even look at it that way. It's been so ingrained into us that our natural beauty is not beauty at all. And so we have this really skewed look of the church, right? This, very, this look that's really a, like a lie. Because the truth is we're broken. But God says we're beautiful. You don't need any fancy promotion, nothing to veil it up, nothing to make you look better. You don't need the best programs. You don't need the best worship, lest you forget who you are. You're a sign of hope to the nations that Jesus loves the small things. The things that seem insignificant, that seem unworthy. (laughs) You're a sign that you bear his image, the image of serving and being a servant, which is to say humble, low, and the least of these. Listen, some, some churches do a great job putting their makeup on, and in doing so, they teach others how to wear makeup as well. And the church becomes a people never really free. I, said, I started with this, and I'm, I'm moving to this. Jesus believes in you, and so do I. I believe in you. There are people right outside our doors that need us to plead their case before Christ. They need us to be unstoppable. They need us to be unshakable. They need us to be wholly stubborn and bent on getting them to Christ. The world needs the bride. The world needs us. If there was ever a time, have you watched the political landscape? Have you watched all the stuff that's going on? With everything that's going on right now, I've been pleading with Christ to just not even come back yet. I, I get so upset when I hear people, man, I'm just praying Jesus comes back. Really? I don't know when he'll return, but the mercy of Christ within me is praying for more time. I hear too many Christians talk about that. But do you know how many people would burn today when they stand before the judgment seat? Where do you think our country would stand in heaven? And you think that's not your responsibility? If God is to ask you, if if every generation is the least responsible for its own generation, what have you done? You will stand before the judgment seat of throne, and while God's, you might not see any of your sin, what if he asks you about your work? Did you plead the case of your generation? Did you weep for your generation? Did you defend them? Did you defend the oppressed? Did you help them? So many of Christ's creation will not be able to stand before that day. And are not these the people we're supposed to be rescuing? And we need time. We need time. I pray to have, listen, I pray all the time for Christ, we need more time. We need more time. I'm, I'm always like, I'm the guy, my wife will tell you, like I've got this, I don't know what to call it, a fascination with death. I'm just not scared of it. 
uh, uh, and it's not like, well, I could go tomorrow kind of thing. No, 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 no. She'll tell you real quick, like, I've I got to live as long as I can. i got work to do. I feel like Paul, yeah, you know, okay, to take me will be gain. You know, I'll get to see Christ, and that, that'll mean that my time is done. But I've always said it, and you've heard it from me saying in here, I'm going to fight him to the last breath. Why? Because I have work to do. As long as there's someone who still hadn't heard the name of Jesus, then I have work to do. Till the end, God, I'm, I am committed till the end. Right? So my faith begins to rise up. Listen, this is just my week this week as I pray and as I'm pleading the case of the afflicted and needy in my city and the people that I know that I believe need to hear the love of Jesus, that need to hear the love of God. My faith rises up and I remember the story of Joshua who's in the middle of a battle and while he's sitting there fighting his battle, he's like, we don't have enough time. Darkness is approaching. It's going to get hard, God. Would you steady the sun, Lord? Uh, by the way, can you fathom such a thing? God, will you take the sun and just like hold it there? The Bible says God steadied the sun and gave him more time. Or how about you fast forward to the book of Isaiah. King Hezekiah has gone sick. And he's on the back end of his life. And he knows he's short of dying. And he begins to weep and pray before the Lord. Lord, I'm I repent. I'm so, I need more time. He goes back and tells Isaiah to tell him, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's not uncommon to ask for more time, and God has granted it twice in the Bible. Twice. Time is controlled only by one, and he wields it for his glory. What is your faith rising up to say and do? To whose cause are you pleading before the Lord? Some of you got family members. You ready for them to burn? Mm -mm. Well, am I saying go out there and witness to them and be hard like you? You're going to burn. Don't do that. Love them. Accept them. Show them the love, the kindness that God has shown you. He accepts you just like you are. Accept them as they are. Love them into his arms. That's what Jesus does. He ne Jesus has never forced gospel on anybody. He's never forced the gospel on anybody. Jesus has loved everyone into the fold. Why was Judas so ashamed? Because he knew. Jesus, he listened to Jesus. He knew the whole time when he ran from the table. Jesus knew then Judas was the person. Right? Judas comes up to him. And what does he do? He knew that he ran from the table. Jesus knows what's going on. But Judas is supposed to show him with a kiss. So, so Jesus is just going to kiss this guy that he know, or allowed to be kissed from a guy he knows is putting the nails in his hands and feet. And what's Jesus do? Come on. You don't think he does that today? You think Jesus is really upset and mad at every person who sins or blasphemes against him? We cannot fathom the love or the mercy or the grace of Jesus because it extends beyond our, our understanding. I mean, let's be honest, man. Somebody backstabs you, you're like, I'm about to pull out a knife and cut someone. But Jesus, that happens to all the time. And we go back to Jesus and we, get, we say we're sorry. How many times have you ever approached the altar and said you were sorry and you weep because, you know, he said, okay. Sure. I never left you. Yeah, you were being hurtful. Yeah, you weren't doing right. I know. But I'm here. And don't, doesn't the world need that? 
So if, I truly like, if we'll, if we'll get a hold of this picture of what's taking place, how persistent these people are. Man, if I can't get this person through the front door, I'm going to break a door. I'm going to make a door. We're about to start a construction crew, and we're going to straight up remove the roof. We're going to create a little deal, go straight down into Jesus. Whatever I'm going to do is I'm going to get people to Jesus, and I'm, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to plead their case before him. I'm going to make sure they get before him. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to get those who can't get themselves there. I'm going to get them there. I'm at least going to be available for that. And that's where we got to be, church. We have to be available now. Like, like one of the, the things that's weird about us, like I know we haven't started any outreach. We haven't done a lot of the stuff the traditional churches has because we're still trying to flesh out what it looks like to really go out and really create something. Really do something that's going to be long and impacting. I've worked with churches for almost 20 years now. I've done all kinds of outreaches. I can tell you that like we put in 100% of effort, 100% of work, and 100% of all these finances into these outreach stuff for, for more often than time, probably a 2% return. And we all go, well, any return is a good return. But it's like I, I spoke in here during uh, last Wednesday. I told you about the prophet Haggai that says, aren't you tired of working twice as hard and reaping half as much? And in, in, the, in the prophecy that Haggai is talking about, he's like, you know, my house is laid up in ruins. My house is struggling. It's not in order. My house is struggling right now. And, and, and you're over there in these nice homes. You're living life like everything is okay. But my house is not okay. That's why you're working twice as hard and only reaping half as much. If you put all the effort into your own lives, into my house, you'd see your life turn upside down. You think you're living good now. Wait, man, if, wait, wait. If, if you put your, that's why I said I, I challenged everybody last week. I'll give you tithe back if you give me 10% of your time. I, I know I won't get that. That's okay. But that's why the challenge is there. Like, really, what do you want to see? How much faith do you have? If you truly want to see what God can do, we're going to have to step in areas that are unknown. We're going to have to wait and pray. Like, well, man, we're waiting a long time, and all this stuff is happening around us, and God's going to just pass us up. God doesn't pass anybody. Listen, make no mistake about it. We travel always faster than God moves. We're always going, come on, God, catch up. We're trying to, can't you see we're doing all this stuff for you? Yeah, that sounds godly. That's kind of how we are. God's going, I'm telling you guys, I got this. Y'all worry about nothing. Y'all act like it all sits on y'all's shoulders. Like, if you don't get out of here right now and go witness to every single person in town, they're all going to die. Listen, God, so I'm in control. What I need you to do is to be listening and be willing and be waiting on me. Right? I'll tell you when. That way you won't have to do, you can do half as much and reap twice as much. If you'll just listen to me and wait on me, you can do twice as much just by listening. Well, God, you take too long. I know. My timing is not your timing. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We don't work in your realm. We work in mine. You don't know anything about the spiritual. You're a novice. I know those things, not you. Work with me. Listen to me. How much was Elijah in the cave? You ever look back at that? He's in the cave all the time. He comes out like twice. Once to address the king. Well, three times. One to, for the widow and the miracle that's all happening there. Wants to come out of a cave basically to go fight on Mount Carmel. And wants basically to go meet uh, the king the first time before all the Mount... Oh, no, it's Mount Carmel time and then the last time for Elisha. Outside of that, he's like always in the cave. 
He had like a handful. He was like three chapters long, and Elijah's gone. But, we, but he was powerful. John the Baptist's ministry was incredible. Jesus called him the greatest man born of a woman. His ministry was six months. You don't, this idea or this concept that you have to do these, if you're not constantly busy and you're not constantly doing this, you're not, you have to do this and do this and do this, that's how you step back into religion. That's how you step back into legalism. You can, you, you can be busy and it not be godly. You can do good things, and they cannot be godly things. We, we must listen. We must listen. Right? Jesus couldn't heal everyone. It says he couldn't. I mean, there were times where he just walked through the crowd, didn't lay hand on nobody. People had to come up and touch him. And it says often, right after that, he'd like leave and depart and go away and pray and like kill anything that was going to happen from it. Can you imagine if like all of a sudden we do this outreach and then like, no, that's it. And we shut the doors down and took a month off. We're like, well, that defeated the whole purpose of doing that. We could, we could build more people. Listen, uh, our, well, we, we don't, we never, get, get your intentions right. We never do anything for the sake of growing our thing. We want people to know Jesus. Whatever happens from that is what happens from that. Whatever we reap from it is whatever we reap from it. We just need to worry about sowing. Don't worry about the reap part. God will take care of that. Worry about sowing. Worry about pleading. Worry about being persistent and being stubborn for the Lord. Not taking no at the first hardship, but realize that hardship makes you stronger. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Let me pray for you.